In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. As we place ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ in the tabernacle, we ask you, Lord, to give us lights, not to academically learn something new, but to receive a light that inspires conversion. And what does the Holy Spirit say right now? And it's always good to go to the official representative of our Lord. And I'm just looking at four of them. Paul VI, St. John Paul, Pope Benedict, and Francis, Pope Francis. And the big thrust is to bring Christ everywhere. And the Holy Father, Pope Francis, bring Christ to the periphery. The periphery doesn't mean some long lost group of people, but periphery could be in my own home, could be in my own house, can be in my own place of work. And the ones on the front line, I don't mean to abdicate responsibility, in a certain sense is more you than me. I get spoiled and preach to good people like you, but you're more in the front lines. I hang around confessional boxes and chapels and churches and sacristies. You're cut loose in the middle of the world. We all need to aspire to holiness, but from a certain perspective, and this is not you know, just false humility, so uh, you're impressed with my humility. People practicing Catholics are gonna to come to Mass independently of whether the priest is inspiring or not or whether he reflects Christ or not. Hopefully we're all trying to do that. But the woman or man in the thick of things, unless she or he walks the walk, this work of evangelization, this new evangelization, bringing Christ into the nooks and crannies of the world, and for our purposes here in the center of Opus Dei, that started on October 2nd, 1928, when St. Jose Maria was enlightened miraculously. It was a preternatural light of how, and it's as old as the gospel, new as the gospel as well, to quote him, to bring Christ into the world in a new way. That new way is in a, an intense way. And part of that light is that the man or woman in the thick of things needs to 
aspire to the same level of holiness as a Mother Teresa or as a Saint John Paul or a Saint Jose Maria. Now we have some lay people who were members of Opus Dei who are now venerable. Uh, venerable Montserrat Grasses, right? Died as a teenager. And part of that light is that if they're saints or they aspire to be saints, they are going to bring Christ to the middle of the world. And the topic here is, you may see it as incongruous, and I'll meditatively try to explain why. The topic is interior silence. Why? What does it mean to be Christ in the middle of the world? What does it mean to be light of the world? You'll hear in the formative activities of Opus Day, you must be a contemplative in the middle of the world. Well, just to give a little bit of perspective, that word contemplation is first used among the monks and nuns of the fourth century. And thousands inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Eastern Church and the Western Church during especially the barbarian invasions when immorality intensified in the different parts of the former Roman Empire. Scores of people separated themselves from the world and devoted their lives. Thousands and thousands. That's why you go to Europe, you see Europe freckled with monasteries and convents. And it worked. They devoted their lives to prayer and penance. In fact, that activity of prayer and penance was called Opus Dei. Because the Holy Spirit inspired them that only by having this intense relationship with Jesus Christ can you renew the church, can you renew the world. Was it renewed? Indeed it was. Perfectly. That's not going to happen till the end of time. And so that was the original model of contemplation. You know, just separating yourself completely from the world without any distraction and just concentrate on loving Christ, on talking to him, living a life of penance to be voluntarily identified with the cross, and doing manual labor as well, to offer that up as well. And that's how the church spread to the, what is known, barbarian population. I hope it don't hurt feelings, the Germanic tribes. And that's how the first concentric circle was the Greeks, and then the Latins, and then the Germans. Because they lived in tribes, they didn't live in cities like the Romans and the Greeks. Anyway, we're not going to do history of the church here. We're going to do our prayer. And what's as new and as old as the gospel, because that's how the early, early Christians did it, St. Josemaria said, we need to contemplate like they, those people who would leave the world, but hold that contemplation in the thick of things, in the middle of the world, at the party, on the soccer field, 
at 7-Eleven in the library, in the court of law, at home, that life of contemplation. Why is this interior silence so key? Because it's all about a relationship with Christ. It's a personal relationship with Christ. And prayer, especially when we speak with the Lord, requires silence. A world of silence within my heart, and then creating times of external silence so that the silence within my heart is renewed. And we ask you, Lord, to help us never make this phrase, especially people who have been Opus Day for a while, we hear it, goodwill, but we hear it so much. And it could be common cliche, you know, this contemplative in the middle of the world, contemplative in the middle of the world. I mean, contemplative in the middle of the world means contemplative in the middle of the world. That's what it means. This dialogue, constant dialogue with our Lord. And we may say, well, this is a challenge that is impossible to meet. Well, Lord, we make an act of faith here. Is it challenging? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm dating myself, okay? I mean, people probably, standard procedure for all of you, you all young, but I'm still not used to it, you know, especially when I'm downtown and all sorts of people by themselves gesticulating and speaking in an animated way. And since I'm collared usually, I say, excuse me? And they look at me like I'm from another planet. Can't you see I'm having a conversation? But they're all by themselves. You know, I don't know if I'll ever get used to it. Probably most of you are one of those people gesticulating like that. The lady was across the street when I was mailing a letter. I had a loud, animated conversation. I thought she was trying to get my attention, but she was, so I said, excuse, what? I, I spooked her. And so anyway, we're, we're seeing that. I'm very careful at stop signs, especially, you know, where there's a high school or a university. Just like you got to drive defensively because someone may be on his phone or her phone. And so you got to, if you can see the person on the phone, that kind of helps you drive even more defensively. Explains why people don't proceed through uh, green lights or proceed through red lights, as I experienced myself. I was the victim. And I just noticed, you know, you have, uh, I don't know, sometimes 20 kids crossing the street. And they're all plugged up. I, I know there's a technical word for all that. And uh, gesticulating less than the adults, but, you know, all immersed. And, and not horsing around. Everybody's by himself, person. We live in a, a world of constant noise. And to hear the Lord, to speak to the Lord, I need to create interior silence all the time 
And then I need times of external silence as well. St. Jose Maria says here in the way, silence is the doorkeeper of the interior life. There's a number of surroundings of our Lord. Everything's sort of allegorical. I mean, the greatest events are what? The conception of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, when he died and resurrected from the dead. These are key events. And what do we notice in all of them? Silence. These great events. Bethlehem, Calvary, there was insults, but it was, it was silent when he died. And when he rose from the dead, it was a silent period. And when Mary received the message from the angel, I mean, there was no drum roll and thousands of people facing this teenage girl in her home, her one-room home. What was an angel appears, delivers the message. St. Joseph hears that he's going to be the foster father of Jesus. He hears that in the dream. And there's a message there. I can only be found in contemplative prayer. I can't be found amid noise. I need to be found in the interior silence of your mind and your heart. And hence, Jesus will say the following, and St. Luke is the only one who summarizes this. And so I can live it with the grace of God on my own, I can't. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Even a noisy party with a lot of laughter and loud talking and shouts on one level without being corny or scrupulous. There has to be an area of my heart that is, that is silent, that's compatible with tons of fun ourselves being the loudest laughers or talkers. But inside is that I'm always with him. And we ask our Lord, you know, we may know the facts. Lord, help me believe this and help me aspire to this. And what is our Lord? Let's just put words in his mouth. All right. Without me, you could do nothing. But without your freedom, I can do nothing as well. I need your freedom. I need you to seek me out. Let's look at this interior silence. What do we need? How do we find him? Well, I would say first, in order to have that interior silence throughout the day, we need to keep asking our Lord for that conversion to desire to have him at the center of my life. What is this holiness business about? You know, and the most important dimension of holiness is speaking to Christ, speaking to the three persons of the Blessed Trinity through Jesus Christ, taking the shortcut through Mary. Because what does that do? In spite of our shortcomings, we all have weaknesses. There is an intangible 
And that's Christ. That's why Paul says it in different ways. Favorite image is contemplation, but doesn't use the word. He does say pray always. He does say that. It keeps resurfacing in his writings. But he says, put on Jesus Christ. Put him on. And it's kind of an interesting image, and we can't exhaust the image, because we communicate through what we have on. And in a way, it's an image of, of covering oneself, covering one's weaknesses, covering one's shortcomings, even covering one's sins, with the joy, the affection, and the love of Christ. We put on those clothes of Christ when we contemplate, when we speak to him. And so we want a disposition, and let me just read part of this parable of the sower. Jesus says here, and it's a kind of interesting parable because the, the emphasis is on my freedom. The grace of God's there. Why? Well, a seed can only grow with sunlight. That's an image of the Holy Spirit. It can only grow with being watered. That's another image of the Holy Spirit. You need heat. These are three images of the Holy Spirit, traditional images. So that's got to be there. And soil is the least important, but indispensable. Soil is the freedom. Soil is the actual seeking of the Lord. So the emphasis here in this parable of how to be transformed and bear fruit, which is evangelization, it always begins with that seed. It always begins with the interior life. Fruitfulness, as Jesus teaches us, grows from within. It's a, it's a mustard seed. It's a grain of wheat. The sower went out to sow his seed. St. Jose Maria will say it's an overflow of your interior life. It's an overflow of love that affects the hearts of others and draws other people to Christ. And category three is something we want to look at. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. They're distracted. Christ is not front and center. And there's all sorts of good excuses. Why not? And Lord, I want to eliminate those excuses. I want to put you front and center. Instill that desire. Maybe I could share this with you. I'm reading this book, which is uh, just a lot of anecdotes of the former prelate of Opus Dei. Now, let's give it a little perspective. The first three prelates of Opus Dei were special. One's a saint, one's a blessed, and one was the right-hand man of a saint, and then the right hand, and then the confessor and spiritual director of the blessed. So he's an interesting person. He would kind of give pushback because he said, no, I'm like everybody else. Well, in a way, yes, in a way, no. There's not too many people who, whose best friends are, one is a canonized saint, and the other one is a blessed. You know, so that doesn't happen. That virtually never happens. It happened to him. So everybody's you know, kind of watching him. These are anecdotes of just deeds of kindness he would display. This is germane to the anecdote. 
And so he met a journalist who interviewed him, and the journalist was not interested in Opus Dei or the formative activities, but said that there's two people who've impressed him among Christians. He says, one is Mother Teresa, and then this male version. And someone else said, who had very little contact with words, he said, well, you know, St. John Paul and Don Javier were kind of his role models because of the kindness and the love. And I was saying to myself, well, you know, I guess this journalist who wrote this book was in a rush because he didn't talk too much of his prayer life. Wrong. There's a chapter where, you know, they would knock on his door and they would hear loud talking or talking as all oh, he's, he's busy with somebody. But a lot of times he'd be talking to the Blessed Mother, he'd be talking to her, and there's no visions, he was just talking out loud. And people who worked with him said that you know, every silent period of time, uh, he would be praying. He'd be lost in prayer and saying aspirations, saying memorares. Busy man, busy, busy, as the younger generation says, crazy busy, just to make sure you get the message. And he'd do four parts of the rose. But the only way you could give that witness of love is the mental prayer has to be front and center. And if possible, there's no rule, everybody adapts the interior life to their own situation. Like we're doing now, the prayer could be before Mass to make the Mass always special so that our protracted conversation with our Lord be first, first thing in the morning. Uh, that we do mental prayer, that we receive the Eucharist often, and that throughout the day there's a plan to have more presence of Christ, more presence of the Blessed Mother. And every prayer leaves us a little different, leaves us more Christ. And one last little anecdote. When St. Maria was alive in his last years here, uh, he was undergoing, in a way it was a mystical suffering because of the absence of God in so many lives, the moral ignorance that was inflicting so much damage on people, their souls, their minds, their psyches, even their bodies. And it made him suffer a lot. And he was begging our Lord to put an end to these, this ignorance, this moral ignorance, this doctrinal ignorance, because real freedom, real happiness could only come from Jesus Christ. He is that good news of great joy. He is everlasting life, as he defines himself. And he got a locution. Locution is kind of a, an extraordinary communication from the Holy Spirit that uh, came from the prophet Isaiah. He'd only get locutions in Latin. He didn't know English, so if he knew English, probably would have been in English with an American accent. Um, but he got it in Latin, and it's two words. Well, it's three words. Clama ne chestis, which means prayer without stopping.
And he heard that. I mean, he heard that, in, I think, maybe in Mass. And he communicated that. He says, this is the response we must have. That we have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that we could say that I'm madly in love with Christ. And what I want to do is, I'm not going to make a hundred resolutions or make radical changes, but how can I, first of all, can I ask the Lord and, and his mother for that disposition to put him first? We ask the Blessed Virgin Mary to win for us that conversion of desiring to put her son first and to make some resolutions to widening that gap in the course of our day where I need to deal with him. And the resolution will always take the form of some kind of interior silence, whether it's dealing with these gadgets like this or the computer or the television or the radio, whatever it is, that I will adjust my life so that little by little I do become that contempt in the middle of the world so that I can transmit the light of Christ in the form of joy, affection, kindness, and spirit of service. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and bring them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.